is a Woodside Church podcast. Let's get straight on. We're in Romans 8. This is the second to last. Next week, Connie's going to finish uh, the series off. Uh, But we've got seven verses today, and I'm dividing it into two. So we're going to read the first three together. I don't mean out loud together, but first three. Um, and then the final four, halfway through what I share. Um, and so all together we're looking at Romans 8, verses 28 to 34, and uh, it's looking at, wait for it, everything for good. Well, that came out a lot in the worship, didn't it? And uh, so Romans 8, 28 to 30, goes like this. Many of you, you could close your eyes and say this in the version you're familiar with, off by heart. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, just thinking about that first verse, verse uh, 28, it talks about those who are called according to God's purpose. I'm going to attempt to summarize very briefly in a nutshell, and if you want references, I've got little annotations with references that I'm not going to have time and didn't intend to actually read. It's a Bible study or a preach in itself. But God's purposes are very clear from the very beginning of the Bible right through to the very end. And his purpose has always been this, to fill the earth with a people who are made in his image, in fellowship with him, and ruling and reigning over the earth with him, declaring his glory. That is the mission that he gave to Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he said that to Adam and Eve as they had been created in his image. And then, of course, we know the story and everything went wrong and sin came into the world and it got to a stage where judgment was due, judgment came, but after this massive flood through Noah, and his sons and their families, God repeated his purpose. He told them, go forth, multiply, and fill the earth. A people like Noah who were righteous. That was always God's purpose. But of course, uh, as we go through scripture, we we know uh, how uh, the heart of of, uh, uh, human beings has uh, always, since the fall came with Adam and Eve, always been bent away from the purpose of God. Oh, thank you, Felix. I forgot to bring mine up, and that's a real blessing, actually. Um, And... So through Abraham, a promise came again. In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
Abraham the faithful one. Through you, look at the stars, as many as the stars that can be counted, and we know how many billions there are these days, so shall your descendants be. And in Galatians it makes it very clear that we who are of faith in Christ are the inheritors and the fulfilment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And so when Jesus came, he came as saviour of the world. John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Jesus himself, having died for our sin and rose again from the dead, gave his disciples a commission. And what did he say? He said, you go now and make disciples of Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. What was he saying? You go and fill the earth with people who are followers of me, who are being made into my image, who have been redeemed from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And we know that Jesus said that this is what would happen in the history of the world until the end comes. Now there's been an awful lot of speculation, I'll be at the end of the end of the end of the age. Well the very categoric thing in Matthew 24, verse 14 that we read is this. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom, this good news about Jesus, King of kings, King of the kingdom, shall be proclaimed to all the nations, every people group, all the ethne, that's people groups, and then the end shall come. And so the actual time is with God through his church taking the kingdom to the ends of the earth, making disciples of all the nations. And when that is complete, then there shall be a return of Jesus for his glorious bride, the church. And then in the midst of all of that, we find that Jesus himself, as, as, uh, as uh, the, 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 in heaven, the lamb upon the throne in Revelation 5 uh, and elsewhere in Revelation, and we find a crowd without number that cannot be counted, worshipping the lamb on the throne and declaring his praise and his salvation that's come to them, how holy and worthy he is, and they are people from every tribe, every nation, every language group on the face of the earth. God has always intended to fill the earth with a people in his image who are ruling and reigning with him and in him, in Christ uh, forever and for eternity. It's a wonderful thing and the day will come as Jesus returns and there will be judgment and there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. Heaven and earth will be combined and we shall forever be with the Lord. And so at that point you will find that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea and that glory will be seen more than anywhere else and we saw this previously in Romans 8 in and through the people, the millions of millions or how many ever there will be a number who which cannot be counted by us at least but known by God who will fill this new heaven and earth uh, and be in perfect uh, harmony with God uh, when we see him it says in 1 John we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and it's a wonderful this is the purpose of God that 
this verse in Romans uh, 8.28 is talking about. We have been called according to his purpose. Not my little ambitions, not my wishes, not my whims, not my inclinations, but his big purpose we have been called to. Is this good news? And it's worth sharing with others because there are many others yet to, be, uh, to discover and to find this gospel of the kingdom. Uh, and so God is going to fill the earth with a people, the new heaven and the new earth, people in fellowship with God, loving him with all of their heart, soul and minds, giving him continual praise, honour and glory. And I'm just going to read you, I just looked at this this morning, uh, but Ephesians 1.9, uh, where it says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We could almost stop now and start praising him again for his wonderful purpose. And so let's read that again, this verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, which I've just unfolded in a nutshell, probably a larger nutshell than I intended, but I get excited about these things, uh, in order for us to understand the context of this particular verse. Now notice the first three words here, and we no. There's a confidence there. This is not like, well, we think, or we have a hunch, or we, we sort of are persuaded. No, Paul is saying, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And so we're going to look at four things that we know, and then Secondly, when we look at the next verses, things that we say. Now, where do we know things? We know things in our minds, in our thinking, and it's good to think in line with Scripture. And then when we're really deeply convicted, you could say, well, I know it also in my heart. And so I think both of those are included. I know it, we know in our minds, in our hearts, that God works for the good in all things for those who love him. So four things we know, and the first thing is this. In this verse, we know that God works and is at work in our lives. We know it, there is no doubt. God works in our lives. Now notice, it does not say all things work together for good a bit fatalistic, like, oh, well, never mind, it'll all work together for good in the end. It doesn't say that. It says God causes all things to work together for good. He is at work in your life. So what happens, just like Somnita's testimony earlier on, when she lost this job and thought, what's happening now? God was at work. That's her testimony. We may not realize it immediately at the time. We may think anything but God's working, but be assured, 
even in your darkest moment, or even in your greatest puzzlement about circumstances that you are facing, God is at work. And you know it. Isn't that good? The second thing we know is that he's working for the good of his people. And if you're counted amongst his people, then he's working for your good. So not only is he working in your life and your circumstances, but he's working for your good in your life and your circumstances. We know that. It's God's word and we can depend on it. And then we also know that God is working for good in our lives, for the good of, our, of his people, in all things. Not just in a few things. Oh, well, God's working for good in the happy things. Or in the things that all work out like clockwork. Or in the things that make me happy or I'm glad about. But in every single thing in our lives, good and ill, God is working it together for our good. In all things, nothing accepted. And that is really important for us to know. Because that includes, Paul is writing this in particular when he's mindful of the sufferings and the groanings, as Felix preached recently, um, that, that are going on in God's people, in the, uh, by the Spirit, and in the world. And at the same time here, all things includes trials. It includes the challenges, the difficulties in your life. God works in those, uh, through those, uses those things in your lives for your good. James says, one, uh, James 1, uh, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, for the testing of your faith will produce endurance, some versions say perseverance, and let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is uh, Proverbs 25.4, where it says, take the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. And that picture is of a, of a metal smith, in this case a silversmith, could be a goldsmith. And in those days, and even now, uh, you'd find that to get the purest of that metal, that the metal itself would be put in a crucible, a flame would be put underneath, it would be heated, and gradually the impurities would come to the surface and be scraped off. And a traditional goldsmith or silversmith would not be satisfied because they'd put the heat up again and then more impurities would come out. And if even other precious metals, but not the one they're working on, gold or silver, comes to the surface, even that would be scraped off and they wouldn't be satisfied until they see the mirror image of themselves in the surface of that molten metal. God works when the heat is on in your life. And this scripture makes it plain. All things, including trials and difficulties, and then it goes on and, and we say, well, also our many blessings. Well, that's pretty obvious. But you know, sometimes we take those for granted and forget. But I love the way we ended the worship with that song, The Goodness of God. In my day, when I was a little boy, the equivalent was count your blessings, name them one by one. If any of you go back that far. 
And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. But it's worth doing it. And it's worth on your own sometimes just making a list of things you're thankful for and then giving it back to God in thanksgiving. Just literally write it down, remember it. Or just have a time to say, God, just today, my time with you, I'm just going to say thank you. Here's my list. You wait to how you are at the end of that time. Very practical, but it's a good thing to do. And not just trials and our many blessings, but also our misdeeds. God uses all things. He works all things in our lives for the good, including our misdeeds. It leads us, first of all, to God for mercy, forgiveness and grace. And the greater we're forgiven, the greater we love, as Jesus made very clear on a number of times in the Gospels when pointing out particular individuals. Greater strength for the future, greater resilience against those things that you fell with in previous times, but also how with compassion and mercy you're able to help others too, going through similar times, and lead them to Christ, the great high priest, who, who sympathises with our weaknesses and allows us to the throne of grace and mercy for help in time of need. And then also all things includes, and this is probably one of the hardest of all, wrong done to us. And many in any gathering of people would have been victims of wrong done to them in one way or another. And God brings comfort and healing and strength and wholeness and restoration. We identify when things have been done wrong to us with Jesus, who though he did not sin was cruelly treated, even to the point of being taken to death on a cross. And God works for good for those who are going through or have been through circumstances where you were the one that was mistreated, mishandled, wronged in one way or another. And 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11 makes it very clear that the same grace that we then receive from God in those particular times when we need his ministry into our lives over those things, we're able then to pass over to others and so that they can receive God's grace and mercy as well. So in other words, God will use everything in our lives to make us more like Christ and to strengthen us in our calling to do his will. He'll make us more mature, effective and fruitful. So, as we've seen, this promise is for those who love God. Any of those here? Any of those here? (laughs) And who've been called according to his purpose. Any of those here? Just a reminder, God's purpose is to fill the earth with a people in his image and he's working for the good of those who are in Christ to that end and it includes every single person who is in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? So, the following verses go on for those and this is really, you can see the purpose being outworked here. For those who he foreknew, he also, notice this, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
We will one day, when we see him face to face, be like Christ. But in process, as Ensign was sharing about sanctification more recently, when he preached, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another even now. We are being changed to be more and more like him. And one of the biggest things that God is working for good is to make us more and more like his image, because that's a part of his purposes. That we would fill the earth, but Christ-like people working in the hospital. Christ-like people working in our schools. Christ-like people working in our universities or studying in our schools or studying in our universities. Christ-like people driving our buses and taxis. Christ-like people at the factory floor or working in um, various uh, carpentry and plumbing and carpentry. Christ-like people looking after their children at home. Christ-like neighbours. Christ-like shoppers. Christ-like people filling the earth like you and me. God's purpose. Isn't that wonderful? And he's working in us to bring that about and making us more like him. So Jesus, the firstborn, has gone ahead of us. Firstborn means he's risen from the dead and he's got a new body. Uh, Just like the rest of us uh, will be one day, as it calls here, and this is quite remarkable, isn't it, that uh, firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that's us, isn't that incredible? When we think of Jesus, and, and that's it, firstborn, many brothers and sisters, he's moving us towards an unstoppable destiny with its finality being that we will be glorified with Jesus. We've been justified. We heard about that so much when Ensign preached. But the day is coming when we will be glorified with him. New bodies and we shall be like him, sharing his glory. Absolutely wonderful. Um, we'll, um, actually, I will, have I got time? Two quotes here from a commentator with a huge book on Romans called Douglas Moo. While not yet experienced, the divine decision to glorify those who have been justified, that's you and me if we're in Christ, has already been made. The issue has been settled. It's good, isn't it? And God is causing everything, good and bad, all things to be used towards this end. Even our sin, even our trials, even persecution, even our weaknesses. And again, Douglas Moo says this, the promise to us is that there is nothing in this world that is not intended by God to assist us in our earthly pilgrimage and to bring us safely and certainly to the glorious destination of that pilgrimage. Wow. I had to think about that, but it's quite a quote. So then the next four verses are all about our response. So far, it's been what we think in our mind and our heart, what we know. But then, let's read it and see what it says. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Now, if you're saying something... You are declaring it. And that's why I was so thrilled that Ujul's mama actually came and brought that prophecy, partly in her own language, Marathi, and partly in English. But we all got it loud and clear. Don't just sing on a Sunday, but sing when you're home. 
Don't just declare the praises of God when you're here with everybody else. And we do that, and don't we get built up as a result of it, but carry on the practice wherever you are. And so what Paul is now giving in the next few verses are some things that we can declare. Let me say to you, there is power in declaration of God's word. When I say declaration, I mean speaking it out loud. Now, some are extroverts and you just do it all the time. Others, you're more internal and you just think it. But can I encourage those of us who are more internal to also get into the habit of speaking it out to God, to yourself, and indeed sometimes to others as well. Because this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, now what's our response to all this? He's saying, what shall we say? in response. It's out of the fullness of the heart that the mouse speaks. And then it goes on. Here's the first thing. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then it goes on. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom he has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? We had that in the very first week. No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now let's just unpack some of this briefly. First of all, if God is for us doesn't mean, well, if he is for us, It's meaning in the light of the previous verses and everything that's gone before in the book of Romans, which is absolute certainty for those who are in Christ, then God God is for us, and if that's the case, who can be against us? I mean, this is just mind-blowingly, I know we know it, but just bearing it in mind again. God, let that revelation just grip us as we face tomorrow morning. God is for you. Who can be against you? Or what could be against you? And then, quite clearly, God is for us. And then our response includes saying this, particularly, I would say, in difficult times. Nobody or no thing or circumstance can ultimately harm or stand in the way of the one that God is for. When I, uh, some of you know the first wave of the COVID pandemic, I was amongst a number, some in the church and many in, in, in the country and the world, who were seriously ill with COVID and hospitalized. And at that point, even when putting on a pair of socks took the energy of climbing a mountain, I found with the help of Catherine, our daughter Rester, and others, Psalms like Psalm 91 and saying them out, even feebly, made a difference. It's declaring God's word. And even with headphones in my ears on a hospital bed, listening to the goodness of God, Waymaker, um, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain and similar songs and declaring them, 
It made a difference to me in my inner man, weak though my body was. And then, having breakfast with one of my fellow hospital patients, he calls us the COVID survivors, who is not a believer yet, but who was saying to me, he said, it was scary one night in the hospital when we were there. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, all night, you were fighting the devil. And I wasn't even aware of what I was doing, but I was clearly praying and interceding and calling on God and declaring some things. And he said, but actually, even though it's scary, I find it greatly comforting. And I'm glad you did it. Now this is a non-Christian with no understanding of the Bible, doesn't even claim to have, uh, saying these things. You see, in our darkest moments, we can declare God is for us, who can be against us? Bear that in mind as you face the difficult situations and I know some of you go through and are going through some very difficult situations. God is for you, who can be against you? And then we also read that the cross is our guarantee. You see, what? how can we be sure that God is for us? How can we be sure that he will give us all things and work all things together for good? Well, verse 32 makes it clear. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things we need to live life to the full and live godly and live in his will and in his purpose. John Stott said this, the cross is the guarantee of the continuing, unfailing generosity of God. Wonderful. So we, the cross is our guarantee. And the last thing we can say here in these verses is Christ has done it all. We're justified, we've been made right with God. There is no condemnation from anywhere that can pull us down. Who can bring a charge against God's chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to the life, is at the right hand of God and, listen to this, is interceding for us. And one of the ways that God is still for you and still working out his purposes for you I don't know how you think of Jesus. Do you think of, oops, oh, sorry about that. Do you think of him on the cross? Or do you think of him just outside the empty tomb? Or do you think of him with you? And all those things are fine and valid and very good. But more than anything else, he's on the throne at the right hand of the Father in glory, far above all other authority, name higher than any other name, and from there he is praying for you and for me. He's praying for us before the Father with whom he is present face to face. Isn't that amazing? Now I have no idea what he is praying but I'm sure there'll be things in principle which will like empower her as she goes through this right now. 
comfort him as he is going through this. Strengthen her as she is going through this situation. Father, let them be corporately aware of your presence by your spirit in their midst when they gather to worship. I don't know what Jesus is praying, but I know from the scripture that he is interceding for us, for you and for me, on our behalf before the Father who's at the, his right hand and declaring, God, will you be at work? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in their lives as your will is being done in heaven. Whoa. Isn't that wonderful? And as we heard last week from Ron, if you were here, or Ollie and the other congregation where we were last week, You'll also know that while all that's going on within you, the Holy Spirit is interceding with groans so deep according to the will of God. So you've got Jesus praying for you, you've got the Holy Spirit within you praying, and God is for you, he's not against you, he's causing all things to work together for good because you love him and accord according to his purpose. I mean, what is there to like about that? Hallelujah. I mean, this is wonderful stuff and wonderful scriptures that we see in these verses. So how does this work out in our everyday lives? So I just want to end with three things that, that really will help, hopefully help us in the light of these verses. Hebrews 10 says, uh, 35 says, don't throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. I mean, isn't it easy, let's face it, to throw away our confidence sometimes? I mean, if I'm the only one, please pray for me afterwards. But I reckon probably all of us would be in that situation because of something we thought or did or something that happened and our confidence seems to seep away. Let these verses again bring confidence. Let your thinking, your mind, uh, your, in your, your, uh, about what God, how God is at work in your life for your good in all things help you. God is for you, not against you. Declare it. So here's some things. Firstly, it motivates you to make a difference. Regardless of what you're seeing going on in the world, and we're all seeing some terrible things, there are earthquakes, floods, storms, wildfires, political chaos, rapid tech development, social upheaval, migration on a massive scale, heartbreaking unjust wars, sectarianism, corruption, and we could go on and on and on. God is still working his purposes out to fill the earth and ultimately a new heaven and a new earth with a people, including you and me, who are like Christ in fellowship with him, worshiping him and giving him glory. That's what God is doing. And so therefore, don't despair and give up. Keep pressing on. Keep persevering and thriving in the things of God. Keep seeking to be used by God as he extends his kingdom, builds his church, and outworks his purposes in the earth. Keep being available to God, saying, here I am, use me in any way you want for your glory. Keep praying and interceding. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it motivates us to make a difference. God is for us who can be against us. Secondly, it helps you to view your life, your circumstances with a healthy perspective. God is working all things in your life for good. Now this includes your personality, your family background or history, your ethnicity, your friendships, your church family, 
your job, your stage of life, where you live, your home, your possessions, your gifts and abilities, your mistakes, your failures, and even your sin that you have repented of, your trials, your challenges, and your health issues. He's using every single thing to mature you and make you more and more like Christ as you welcome him into every aspect of your life. It helps us to keep a healthy view, a biblical view of, of perspective on our life and circumstances. And the third thing it does is this. These verses raise our expectation for God to be at work in our lives. Whether big or little things. I mean, most of our days, if we're honest, unless you're different to us, I know we've retired now, so it may be different, I don't know. But most of our days are ordinary days. And then you have some significant days. Could be that interview, it could be that marriage proposal, it could be that uni placement, it could be a change in your circumstance or having that baby or whatever it happens to be. There are really milestone things that happen in all of our lives. But many days are also ordinary days. We just get on with it. God is at work in your life for your good in ordinary days as well as in the landmark days, in the significant days, or ones that you would call significant. God might not see them quite that way always. He might think of other things as significant that you hardly ever notice. But this is the good news. Every day, God is working in you, and he's looking to work through you and for you for his purposes and his glory and for your good. Every day. So these verses raise our expectation at the beginning of a day. Lord, what's going to happen today? It's just an ordinary day as far as I know. But do your work. In me, through me and for me. Who knows, you might even lead someone to Christ. You might just sow a seed. You might just do a act of goodness or kindness in your workplace and find it makes all the difference to that person on the receiving end. It raises your expectation for God to be at work in your life. God, please do that for us. So whatever you're facing in the week ahead, you can confidently know that God is causing all things to work for your good because you love him and have been called according to his purpose. You can confidently speak out to God and to yourself and anyone else who may be within earshot that God is your father, that Jesus is interceding for you, that God is for you, that if he's for you, nothing can stand against you. That Jesus, uh, I've said already, is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit is empowering you. Tell God that you love him. And tell yourself that you are called according to God's purpose. And that in all things in your life, God is working together for good. Let's stand and pray. Let's just stand before 
God of the universe. God who's working out his purposes. The God who always planned to and has and still is and will continue to to its ultimate fulfillment. Fill the earth with a people in his image. And if you feel motivated to make a difference in the light of God being for you, working all things together for good, this good news of the kingdom that you carry, then why not, rather than looking gloomy and feeling gloomy because you've seen another item on the news, and it is gloomy, you can see a higher power seated on the throne, your Father, Jesus beside him interceding. You're aware of the Holy Spirit within you, seeking for you to make a difference. Then if you're in a place where you say, Lord, just use me afresh for your glory this week, I'm not even talking beyond this week, this week, use me afresh for your glory in my workplace, in my neighbourhood, in my family, in my sphere of influence, in that sports club that I'm a part of in that music group, in that choir, practicing for Christmas, most of them don't know you, Lord, in that dance group that's about to perform, whatever it happens to be, Jesus, would you make a difference through me? Make a difference, use me for your glory. And Lord, would you help me to view my life my circumstances from the perspective of who I am now. A man, a woman who is by your grace and mercy now in Christ and called according to your purpose. And for some of you there may be things that have bothered you, nagged you, weakened you, discouraged you, or in your own minds disqualified you from ever being the man or the woman of God that you would have dreamt to have been, but now you think that's going to be impossible. Let God, at this point, by his Spirit, give you the confidence to know and declare, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, what can be against me? God loves me and I love him. He's called me according to his purpose and I fully embrace his will. And he is working all things together for good. And I thank him for it. Let him change perspectives by his word and by his spirit. Now, I'm not naive. It may not just be just in this moment. These are things to take home as well. But let's just pray one more thing. Lord, let our expectation for you to be at work in our lives increase. Let us every day, whether we're aware of it or not, even though we look back and probably will notice, may we experience you at work in us 
making us more like Christ, that's our destiny, through us to be a blessing to others and for us for our own good. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.